The facts. In a talent market that is more competitive and less understood than any other time in history, it's the facts that matter. Welcome to Start Smart, the podcast that delivers the facts, the latest research and data on the key issues and opportunities facing talent acquisition and HR professionals. Welcome, everyone, to Start Smart, the podcast that's all about the facts, the latest research in talent acquisition. I'm Peter Weddle, the CEO of TA Tech. Hi, I'm Shalia Gray, and I manage uh, global talent acquisition for Quadient. And what we do is we take a look at the most interesting new research in the talent acquisition area, and we look at it from two perspectives. Shalila looks at it from the perspective of uh, of the employer, and I take a look at it from the perspective of the solution provider. And in today's episode, we're going to take a look at Lighthouse Research and Advisory's new report. It's entitled, Hiring is More Critical Than Ever, How Employers and Candidates Are Evolving in the Current Market. Before we get started on talking about it, first, I'd like to tell you a little bit about our sponsor, Talent.com, the solution to finding talent your way. Work with the fast-growing, tech-savvy company dedicated to making the search for candidates easy. Are you looking to fill one job? How about a thousand jobs? Do you need a way to integrate your recruitment technology? Talent.com can find the answers for your business, and they can do it on time and on budget. Start growing with talent.com. Okay. Again, the report that we're looking at was done by Lighthouse Research and Advisory. It's a a great firm, uh, and you should pay a visit to their website. Uh, The report is entitled, Hiring is More Critical Than Ever, How Employers and Candidates Are Evolving in the Current Market. It's based on a survey that they did in March of this year. So the data are relatively fresh. Uh, And they heard from 1,000 candidates who were either working or looking for work in the U.S., the U.K., Australia, Canada, and India. And they heard from 1,054 employers ranging in size from under 250 to 10,000 plus workers. So they covered a lot of ground. Um, And there's a whole lot to this report that we can't get to for obvious reasons in the short time we have here today, but we're going to focus in on three findings. Finding number one, uh, over the past 12 months, hiring has risen to the level of a business issue, not just an HR or recruiting concern. That's the view of eight and 10 employers in this survey. And it's, it's a finding that's similar to one that we discussed in an earlier show. Uh, that show covered the Mercer report on the relatable organization. And it found that two thirds of company executives said they face a labor shortage crisis. Now, you know, Shalila, I, I think until I hear that the boards of directors of companies are asking about how talent acquisition is going, what uh, the supply of talent is, uh, what kinds of demands are not being met by the organization. Until I see that become a board issue, I'm not sure that we really are seeing any change in 
the priority of of talent acquisition. What do you think? Um, you know, I, I I do believe that accountability drives action. So when there's accountability, because you, know, you think about it, I, I worked for a CEO many years ago who says if you can't measure it, you know, why do you do it? If you can't measure the return on investment, all of that. So I do believe that accountability does drive uh, many people to action, accountability and what's linked to their performance appraisal, their bonuses, all of those things. But I believe that there are some good leaders that are do, doing the right thing because they themselves know it's the right thing. Um, so I think it can go both ways. But I, I will say I do believe that the organizations that are making the most progress, it is a very top down mandated type of thing. Right. Let's assume for a moment that, uh, you know, the report from these employers is genuine. They are uh, assigning hiring a higher priority. But what was really interesting between these two reports, the Mercer report and the uh, the report that we're discussing today, the Lighthouse report, is that they came to very different conclusions about how employers were going to deal with this situation. According to the Mercer report, the number one HR priority among its survey re uh, respondents was, quote, improving workforce planning. And they were doing that in order to better inform buy, build, borrow strategies. Do they want to go out and do talent acquisition? Do they want to develop it from within? Or do they want to use gig workers to, to get the job done? The Lighthouse survey was very different. The number one response in their survey was utilize new hiring technology. And that was cited by over half of the respondents. Uh, and to make that that technology commitment real, more than 70% of the respondents said they were going to increase their spending on technology. And a whopping nine out of 10 of those companies are actively shopping for products right now. So what do you think, uh, Shalila? Do, do you think that, that companies really understand how to effectively buy and implement this technology uh, in a way that's going to move the, the needle on KPIs? Um, I do believe yes, because I believe, you know, as I said, more people are looking for return on investment. We're looking to measure things. So I believe some of this technology will. Uh, what I do believe that it's incumbent upon TA to know what problem they're trying to solve, to understand the market uh, and what's available and to choose the right product. And they're gonna be have to be very heavy in the implementation because I believe that the procurement organization still does not necessarily understand the HR space. Um, I believe that the, T, the IT organization does not also understand a lot of these uh, software as a service platforms that are available to us or have the implementation teams that can assist us when we do, when we do integrations with our applicant tracking system. So I do believe there's some great technology that can make a difference. Um, I just believe we cannot get distracted by shiny objects because I get an email at least three to four times a day with some shiny objects, some, some new tool that's out there, and that we invest in those things that will solve a problem and make the biggest difference for us. Yeah, let's not buy technology for technology's sake. Uh I'm a big I'm a big supporter, obviously, of talent technology, but I think you need to, to be a smart consumer. And obviously, there's a difference. You know, there are some 
talent technology products that are relatively modest. They, they focus on a specific function or a spe- specific kind of activity, and, and um, their impact on the organization is, is relatively modest, except within that activity or function. But some of these products are very large, and I, th- I, think, it's, I think it's important to realize that in many respects, talent technology is not a tool but rather it's a transformation agent that when you bring it into the organization, you're probably going to, as you said, change the tech stack. You're going to potentially change practices and procedures. You may even have to change the culture of the organization. Recruiters will end up doing different things. Their skill requirements will change. Uh, There's just a whole lot of potential disruption that can come from technology if you don't think about it in advance. I mean, acquisition is only half the challenge. Implementation um, is certainly the other half. Okay, so let, let's talk about where they're going to spend their, their money. Uh, of those nine out of 10 companies that are active shopping, actively shopping for products, uh, most were focusing in three areas, uh, recruitment marketing, video interviewing, and diversity hiring tools. Um, now, interestingly enough, uh, they track the Lighthouse tracks these priorities and, and where investments are going year over year. Um, and recruitment marketing had the biggest jump in the survey. It went up eight spots to the number three uh, slot in the list of priorities. Um, and diversity hiring tools went up three slots to the to the number one spot. So, what do you think? Is this a New focus on relationships and convenience and fairness, uh, or or are we just you know trying to put a bandaid on specific problems? I would like to believe that what's happening now is that people are looking for ways to minimize bias, um, and some of the tools that um, uh, we're seeing today actually have some things in there that uh, actually removes bias. Um, and so I think that as a result, we have a we have a, a an interest in investing in those type of tools. Uh, when it comes to um, candidate satisfaction, I think that we are always concerned about candidate satisfaction, but but do we really measure it enough? Um, because I don't think a lot of times we don't measure the candidate journey through the recruiting process, and as a result, we understand where the pain points are. Well, I was very pleased to see that uh, recruitment marketing was one of the top three areas for investment. Uh, we're, we at TA Tech are going to do a leadership summit on recruitment marketing on December 1st in Boston. Uh, this is an event that's designed for senior HR and talent acquisition professionals uh, among employers and senior talent solution providers uh, on the industry side, so it's a very interesting uh, kind of of event. It's held in a in a academic environment. It's held at Boston University to sort of promote that senior level networking, dialogue, collegiality, and 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 so on. So, uh, for those of you out there who have an interest in recruitment marketing, please uh, head on over to tatech.org and take a look at our events tab, and you'll see some information about that that summit on recruitment marketing. Uh, okay, so let, let's agree that 
there is uh, increased focus at the most senior leadership level in the organizations uh, today, and that that is translating into more money for uh, recruiting teams to invest uh, in technology. Uh, that's definitely a step in the right direction. But finding number two is a cautionary tale, it seems to me, because Lighthouse found that more than half of the responding employers hadn't evaluated the effectiveness of their recruiting process in the last six months. And and according to, to Lighthouse, they argue that that's way too long, that given all of the uh, multiple and significant changes underway in the talent market, uh, you need to be paying attention to the effectiveness of your process on a more frequent basis. Uh, but I think in fairness, that finding ought not to be surprising given the fact that in a lot of organizations, the recruiting function continues to be understaffed. I mean, you only have to spend 10 minutes on LinkedIn to, to see a, a company saying, hey, we're looking for recruiters. But what Lighthouse really dives into is how is effectiveness measured? Uh, and what they talk about is a high-performing organization, which they define to be a company that has better revenue, better retention, and better engagement scores. Um, and uh, they found that those organizations are less likely to be using the old tried and true time to fill metric uh, as their primary metric, whereas low performers do tend to focus on time to fill. High performing organizations uh, use as their primary metric quality of hire, which they use 25% more than other organizations. What, what's been your experience? Do you, do you think, uh, I mean, I, quality is such a hard thing to define. It's so idiosyncratic to organizations and also, uh, you know, it's, it's what's in the eye of the beholder. So is the beholder the hiring manager? Is the beholder the recruiter? I mean, how, how do you decide on what, what quality of hire is? Um, I remember years ago, I, I participated uh, in the Saratoga data. Um, so Saratoga Institute, if you participate in that, you provide data about your organization on multiple dimensions, and then you're also able to measure yourself on those same dimensions against peer companies, geographical companies, whatever. But they define, and I still think it's the best best, best definition, they consider quality of hire, well, excuse me, let me say, they, they define poor quality of hire as someone who leaves your organization in less than a year. So what they have basically said is if someone leaves the organization in less than a year, it's either you hired the wrong person, you have the wrong job, or the onboarding and the environmental pieces don't match. Whatever, that's a poor quality of hire if it's less than, because you're not getting a return on your investment if you lose someone in less than, less than a year. And a voluntary or involuntary, there's a disconnect there. Um, and they really looked, when they did a comparison of quality of hire, they looked at several things. They looked at um, performance ratings after a year to see where someone was in the organization. Um, they looked at, they did look at like retention also. So the longer someone was at the organization. And then they also, the other piece that they looked at was a, a measure around source of hire, linking it with quality of hire. That's why a lot of times you'll hear the data about how, um, 
employee referrals are your best source of hire because uh, one, they're they're cheaper than some other paid-based sources, and because they have a support mechanism, someone who brought them into the organization, they're more invested and they stay longer. So there are some measures, industry measures, of what they consider quality of hire. Well, of course, the the downside to employee referrals, uh, and I and I understand how the how they can be, you know, very effective sources, but it's it's Oftentimes, I want to I want to bring in someone like me, so you have a hard time ensuring diversity, uh, and uh, that that's a potential downside. You know, I I think lots of companies talk about we focus on quality of hire. I mean that that's the refrain, uh, and in fact, in this survey, seventy percent of the respondents said that quality of hire was the most important metric. Interestingly enough, however fewer of them admitted that they were actually or said they were actually using that metric. Time to fill, uh, they said, was less important, but uh, it was, uh, in fact, uh, four out of 10 employers felt that time to fill was, was worth focusing on. So it was deemed less important, but over half of the respondents were actually using it. So there's, you know, there's some Here's what we think is important, and here's what we actually do. You know, uh, why is that? I mean, why do organizations aspire to quality of hire, but end up maybe, you know, dealing with a metric that's something less? There's an assumption that there's a correlation between quality of hire and bringing in what people consider as A players. I want an organization full of A players. Um, And that's not realistic, one. Um, because of the type of work it needs to get there and also the type of um, environment you have to have to maintain A players as A players that come in the organization. So I think most people would say we want to have high performing you know, people in an organization. But the reality is sometimes you have to wait a while to find that, that high performing talent. So as a result, because of time to hire you know, and a lot of times people won't hire for potential, they hire for the job today, not thinking about the succession or feeder pool or anything else. And as a result, uh, they compromise that that measure for other measures. I do think that, you know, the the measure of effectiveness on a on a more frequent basis is an important point that the survey is 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 making whatever metrics you use. Um, And I I think what that signals is that the organization is paying attention to the fact that probably more than any other time in any of the uh, work lives of the people, of the generations currently in the workforce, uh, it's necessary to evolve. Uh, We we have a lot of change going on in the workplace. Um, And the organization that uh, stands pat that has a static approach to uh, to recruiting uh, is one that's going to fall behind their competitors in the talent market. It's interesting you say that. Okay, so I, I do believe that we move at the speed of the market. So whatever the market is, whatever technology, whatever, TA has to move with that. But I'll give you an example of something. I started my career in the 80s, okay? And I started off as a college recruiter early on. College recruiting, it took the 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 it took the pand uh, took the took this recent COVID for college recruiting to change. 
So college recruiting for all these years, even though other countries do it differently, in North America, college season starts in September with job fairs on campus and all of this. Offers need to go out by December because graduates are going to be uh, graduating in the spring. You know, offer letters. It was it was a formula. It was a formula for 40 years. There was a formula to college recruiting. Um, even how you put the offers together and how the career plan and placement centers sent us what the what the co average compensation was. It was a formula. The only thing that blew it up was 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 COVID. Because COVID, even though the market had changed, what I meant was most students, when we, when we did an assessment of them, had didn't want to go to those college fairs. They didn't want to go have to go through career planning and placement to get their jobs. They didn't want to have to follow the traditional thing. They'd rather us text them things, go through mini vignette videos to do interviews, all of this other stuff. But the entrance to a particular university was following the process. Right. So suddenly two years ago, when we went through COVID, guess what? Most a lot of college campuses didn't have students on, on campus anymore. Right. Um, faculty has always been an important relationship. And then some technology shows up, some handshakes, some all this technology, and they put it in the hands of the professors. And suddenly we have a different way to get those students without having to go on campus anymore. So while you say that it, we should be up, you know, updating all the time, there's some things that we pay in, play into that has not changed. I'll tell you another one I feel hasn't changed is executive recruiting. Executive recruiting is very similar to when I ended my career executive recruiting. The, the fee structure of executive recruiters, the only thing that's changed is that when I first started off, that executive recruiters would face-to-face -face see all of their candidates before they referred them. Not anymore. They do most of theirs by video conference or whatever. But has the process changed? No, the calibration's still the same. It's, it's, it's the same. So I, I agree with you that we should continually update, but many of the systems that we buy into to get talent has never changed. It, it's been very slow to move with the market. Well, I think that's a fair point. Uh, you know, we, we have for the last, what, six, eight, ten months been saying that uh, this is the era of the job seeker. All of a sudden, uh, workers uh, have the upper hand in negotiations and so forth. And yes, there has been some change in the dy dynamics because of supply and demand. But now, as the economy begin begins to reshape itself uh, following the pandemic, uh, what we're finding is that uh, in many cases, the changes have not been nearly as significant as uh, we originally thought, that we're moving back to uh, old behaviors. Uh, workers are going back to hospitality and retail jobs uh, that they were saying earlier they would never go back to. Now, in fairness, you know, those employers have had to adjust by offering much higher starting salaries. So the, the compensation is better. Uh, but in terms of what motivates them and what moves them um, is uh, I, I, I'm beginning to think maybe is not as significantly different as we th once thought it was. But still, I do think that there are some underlying dynamics uh, going on as boomers transition out of the marketplace uh, and as uh, Gen Z begins to move in. I think we're going to see a different set of, of aspirations and 
the successful recruiting organization will be those that are best able to tap into them, even on the college campus, for example. So we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, my crystal ball is obviously no better than anybody else's. Uh, okay, so finding number three. Uh, today's candidates are apparently not all that dissimilar from those of yesterday, to make the point that I was uh, just articulating. The candidate respondents were asked to identify the most significant factors for them in a company's hiring process. And surprise, surprise, the number one response was the starting hourly rate for the position for which they were replying. So, you know, money talks just as it always has. Um, they also wanted a fast application process and more transparency around the status of their application. But what really drove them was salary. Do you agree with that? I don't necessarily think that it's just salary. In fairness to the report, I, it doesn't say it was just salary. It just says it was the number one priority. There were other priorities. As, as I mentioned, uh, they want a faster application process and transparency around their status. That you know, That's really a, a reference to the resume black hole kind of a thing. I actually think communication, you know, here's the deal. I believe that candidates want to work want to work and want to be attracted to places where, you know, this to me still goes back for the war for talent. They want to go be, be a part of organizations that differentiate performance, where compensation is a differentiator, right? There's some type of rewarding recognition. They're challenged in their, in their careers, you know, career pathing, job opportunity, all of those things. That makes, that makes a difference to them. I think a lot of times when we collect data, people from employees, the thing that they most often say is compensation because they think that that resonates with, with the organization needing to do something. But I think that there's some other factors there that are that are that are um, equally as equally as important. And communication is one of them. When you talk about that black hole, I always tell my candidates, if you can do my my uh, team, if you can do nothing please communicate in a timely manner to candidates throughout their life cycle. Even when you're, when you're, even when you're, um, when they're being rejected, it's just as important throughout their life cycle. You know, because I have had candidates, like, for example, you know, when I have these long jobs and I do not believe in keeping jobs more than 90 days open, because I just feel like if you can go 90 days, do you really need to fill it? But that's another story. Um, but sometimes I'll have managers that are looking for purple squirrels. And so they're willing to keep it open longer because they have faith that that purple squirrel is out there and they'll want to come here. OK. And so um, when that happens, I believe that we should communicate with the candidate along, along the way, saying you have entered a process that may be quite lengthy. However, we want to do our due diligence. We want I think that that communication goes goes a long way with the candidate as opposed to them applying and never hearing from you or them applying, going through a phone screen and then never hearing from you or see, going with the manager who wants to see more candidates before they can make a decision and never hearing from you. So I, I don't necessarily think it's a fast process. They want an open and transparent and a clear process that they believe that they are not taking advantage of. Well, that's a very interesting segue to what I thought was the most surprising finding in the entire report. Uh, you know, we, we've heard all kinds of research about uh, candidates dropping out of the application process because of very long application forms, forms that only a lawyer could love. Uh, and, and I'm sure that's true. Uh, but what is the definition of fast? And 
better than eight out of 10 of the respondents to this survey, 84% said that for them, 20 minutes or less was a fair, quote, a fair amount of time to complete an application form. Oh, now, 20 minutes. That's yeah, that's a, I thought that was unbelievable amount of yes. time. If I if if I go to a site, if I personally would go to a site and I see that you can upload my resume, but then I have to spend 10 minutes of going through the sections that supposedly parse my information into the form and validate it, it takes forever. I'm more likely never to finish the process. And some some organizations, you know, because now a lot of the applicant tracking systems allow you to put in screening questions. So, that, you know, typical screening questions, are you over the age of 18? Do you require, you know, sponsorship? Those are fine. But when you ask me to write my philosophy on a particular topic, I'm gone because I that's my intellectual property. How do I know you're just not collecting ideas? You know what I'm saying? You're, you're doing, I'm doing your job for you. So when I look at those long processes, and I'll tell you, um, you know, applicant tracking systems seem to like the long process because candidate experience on the front end seems to not be a priority with them. So many of us are now starting to put, like I have a, a an overlay over my applicant tracking system uh, that makes the process much quicker because uh, that overlay allowed me to do some of the parsing some uh, um, artificial intelligence. It also allowed me to do an easier, easier process for um, hourly workers, right? Who sometimes don't have a resume um, because you really, here's all you need. You need to know, you know, Bob or Susie's name. You need to know Bob or Susie's contact information. And you need to know if Bob and Susie meet the minimum requirements of the job. That's all you really need. All that other stuff could be collected at a different point in the apply process. So why make it hard on them? It was years and years ago, I remember I, I looked at uh, Apple. I don't know if they still do this, but Apple had a process that when you went to their website, it asked you what you were interested in. You uploaded, if I remember correctly, you uploaded your resume and then they matched you. How easy was that? You know, and I have, I have a, several companies, I've actually built a front end piece on my applicant apply process for military recruiting so that a military person could enter their information, you know, their grade or whatever in the military, and then it recommend jobs for them. Because it's not necessarily a natural fit between what they did in the military and what we may have inside of a corporation. So I wanted to make it easy for them. I think it should be just as easy for all other candidates. Yeah. Because you know what? We, we still believe we need all this stuff at the front end. You really don't. And, you know, you're collecting too much information from too many people. You need all of that information on the finalist and on the final hire. I don't know why applicant tracking systems are not flexible enough for you to say, I need this here and I need to, to parse out what I need along the way. Well, there you go. For all of you out there listening that uh, want to build one, are working on <laughs> working on applicant tracking systems, there's the approved solution from Shalia Gray. So, well, listen, we have we have come to the end of our show. As always, we could uh, we could continue talking about this fascinating report for a whole lot longer, but we're going to have to close it out now. Again, the report was from Lighthouse Research and Advisory, entitled "Hiring is More Critical Than Ever." how employers and candidates are evolving in the current market. And you can download the report on their website. Uh, our next show is going to focus on a report from AppCast, their 2022 
recruitment marketing benchmark report. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to do a summit on recruitment marketing here at TA Tech uh, in December. It's an in-person event uh, in Boston. Uh, and this will be a great uh, lead into that because they've collected some really fascinating data uh, about uh, recruitment marketing in that report, which Shalila and I will discuss next time. So thanks again for joining us. We hope we'll see you back here for our next episode. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. That concludes this episode of Start Smart. Thanks very much for joining us and come back for our next episodes on the latest research that will help you shape your talent acquisition with the facts. See you then.